Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise for our worship team one more time. Amen. Amen. Let's give even a louder shout of praise for Jesus, our living hope this morning. Make your voice known. Give him some praise. Amen. 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 Hey, it is great to be with you uh, this morning. My name's John, one of the pastors here, and welcome to Hope Elam. If it's your first time here, if you're just checking things out, we would love to get to know you. We're so glad that you're here. We love new people, whether you're worshiping with us online or here in the room. Happy Palm Sunday as we kick off Holy Week together. You got your palms? Everybody got your palms? Make sure you got those. You're going to need those here in a little bit. But we are excited to kick off this season, this Holy Week uh, together. And some time to time, we will be asked... Why all the special services? Maybe that's not your tradition. Maybe you didn't grow up at the church at all. That is totally fine. You are welcome here. And uh, but we get that question asked a lot. Why, why do we make such a big deal of Palm Sunday? And then you guys, you have services on Thursday. Monday, Thursday, it's called, and Good Friday is on Friday this year, conveniently. And then you have Easter, and you even start early with Easter, service on Saturday to make more room. Why, why go to all the work? Why all the services? Why all the special services? And the reality is, is that you think about any great story, which this is the greatest story of all great stories, amen? You think about any great story, the power of any great story is found in the magnitude of what had to be overcome. You think about any story that you like, the reason that it has power, the reason that it has punch is because at some point in that story, you didn't know the ending. You didn't know how it was going to work out. It seemed like darkness was winning. It seemed like evil was winning. It seemed like the, the powers of brokenness and darkness and evil in this world were going to prevail. And then at just the right time, the hero delivered. Amen? And that is the story that we have. Because here's the thing, without Palm Sunday, if Jesus doesn't come riding in on that donkey on Palm Sunday, we don't have Monday, Thursday. Without Monday, Thursday, and Jesus breaking his body and pouring out his blood for us, we don't, have, we don't have the cross, we don't have Good Friday. And without Friday, we don't have Easter, right? But we know that the story didn't end with the cross because early one Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead, amen? And he is the resurrection and the life. So that's why we celebrate the story, because Jesus is our living hope, as we just sang about this morning. Believe it or not, here's why. There are 85 chapters in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the story of Jesus' life. 85 chapters to summarize everything that Jesus did on this earth. Believe it or not, 29 of those chapters, close to a third of the Gospels, are about this week in Jesus' life. One week. So if you all want to skip over it and say, ah, that's not really my thing, that's, not my, that's my tradition, that's fine, but you're going to be missing a whole bunch. Turn your neighbor right now and say, don't miss it. Tell them that right now. Don't miss it. You don't want to miss it wherever you're at, online, 
Don't miss it. You're not going to want to miss this week. And it all starts today on Palm Sunday. But before, before we do, I want to I ask you a question. We're going to take a little bit different spin on this familiar text today of Palm Sunday. Maybe some of you grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't, but you're familiar with Jesus coming in, the palm branches uh, waving. But I want to ask you a question this morning that's going to frame up where we're going. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? I mean, who are you, really? <laughs> Beyond your name, I know a lot of your name. I don't know all of your name, and if I don't, I would love to. I'd love to meet you, but there's more to you than that, isn't it? There's more. There's more that's below the surface. What, who are you, really? Below the surface, beyond what other people can see or what they would say about you. Beyond what you do for a living, beyond your job. I mean, it's a good litmus test. If you had to describe to somebody else who you are and not include anything about your job, what would you say? I know there's more to you than that. I know there's more than what people see. And here's the thing. If we don't understand who we are, it's going to mess up our entire purpose and trajectory in life. That might be one of the simplest questions, who, you are, who are you, but one of the most important questions. Because your identity will determine your purpose. If you don't know who you are, you don't know where things are headed. If you don't have a rock-solid understanding of your identity, this world has no shortage of names to give you. It's almost like as we go throughout our lives, different people, different conversations, different circumstances, different experiences that we have, there's a whole bunch of names or identities. Some of those old-school, you know, name tags. Hello, my name is... And instead of just your name, there's a lot of different identities that get placed on us. Some of them are put on us. Others we place on ourselves because of things that have happened to us. And we just assume it's normal. Not all of them are helpful. Most of them are untrue. Mistake. Failure. Divorced. Attic. Has been. Nobody. The pretty one, the ugly one, the athlete, the, the jock, the, the artist, whatever those names are, some of them are true and a lot of them are not true. And what we do is we go through a lot of our adult Christian lives just thinking, well, that's what it says on me, and so that must be true. It's just become normal when it's actually not who you really are. There's only one person that gets to stick your identity on you, and that is the God that created you. Amen? But we don't live like it's true. We carry around these name tags for a lot of our lives and we think that it's just normal. You see, if you don't have an understanding of who you are, you'll stick those name tags on you your whole life and other people will put them on you and you'll just assume this is the way it was meant to be. This is who I am. But instead, what if you had a confidence? What if you had a rock-solid understanding of who you are? What if there was a calm in your spirit? What if there was a peace that you had? What if there was a confidence that no matter when all the voices of the world come at you, that some of those just don't stick? They just fall off. What if you had such an inner peace and confidence and focus and knowledge of who you were that even when the voices around you and even the voices of your past come calling, that those name tags won't stick? That those identities are not the deepest thing about you. What if we had an example of that? What if we had a model of that? And believe it or not, we do. And it is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. And that's where we're going to dive in the story today. And we're going to take a, a look at an aspect of Jesus 
that maybe you haven't thought about very often, but it comes right front and center here in Luke chapter 19. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, that's great. Just don't tweet. If you're going to tweet, tweet about the sermon. That would be great. So Luke chapter 19, that's where we're going to be. We arrive on the scene and people are going crazy. We've got a full-blown uh, celebration on our hands. It is the celebration of Passover. It is the annual festival for the Jewish nation that they're celebrating God delivering them out of Pharaoh's hands, out of slavery and Egypt. And so it's the annual celebration. So the town is full. It's like a victory parade for a World Series or a Super Bowl champion. Uh, and, and people are going crazy and they're filling the streets and they hear that King Jesus is coming. This miracle worker, this miracle man, and so they lay their cloaks on the ground and they, they start ripping palm branches off the trees and they yell, Hosanna, blessed is the king. Hosanna, blessed is the king. And we could talk about it or we could do it. Anybody feel like giving God a little praise this morning? You think you can do this? All right, seven of you. Awesome. The rest of you, you'll catch along, okay? So get out your palm branches or your twigs or whatever they are, all right? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to divide you up. Online folks, you're going to be in group two. So group one is going to be the Hosanna group, and you're on this side. So right down the middle of the balcony, all of you, you're the Hosanna group, all right? This group, you're the blessed is the king group. Everybody online, you're with group number two, all right? So when I point to you with the palm branches, you are going to yell as loud as you can, all right? Just pretend this is a normal thing for you. It's okay to yell and shout and clap in church. It's biblical, all right? So we're going to yell Hosanna, blessed is the king, but... I might mix it up, so if I point to you, that's you, all right? You ready to do this? Okay, louder than the first service. Here we go. One, two, three. Pretty good. I think you can do better. You're the 11 o'clock service. All right, here we go. Wait for it. Everybody together. Everybody together. Hosanna. Blessed is the king. Good job. Good job. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell him nice job. Nice job. Very good. Very good. Very good. Awesome. Kind of get the blood flowing a little bit this morning, right? Hosanna. Literally meaning save us. Well, that's an odd thing to yell at a victory parade, isn't it? Hosanna. Save us, King Jesus. And that would only make sense if you needed saving from something. You see, the crowd got it half right that day, right? They knew they needed saving, but they wanted Jesus to be a different kind of king. They wanted Jesus to be one of those great military leaders, one of those types of kings. You know, like the great King David, to restore the temple, to restore Israel to national prominence and kick out the Roman oppressors that had been there for centuries and, and restore them to prominence. And Jesus would take the earthly throne. But that's not what we see at all. They, they got it partially right, but that's not who Jesus was. And that would have been the case if Jesus would have caved to the opinions and the voices of the crowd around him. But instead, Jesus models something for us. And he says without saying a word, I know who I am. I know exactly who I am. I'm a different kind of king. <laughs> because if I was that kind of king, you would notice. In fact, I have an entirely different purpose in mind. Jesus didn't say a lot that final week, but what he did say really matters. A couple days later, Jesus is arrested and he goes on trial before Pilate. And he's asked, why are you doing certain things? Why are you not doing certain things? And Jesus responds in this way. Let's read it nice and loud together. My kingdom is not of this world. Let's breathe that in for a second. Not of this world. That's not the kind of kingdom that I'm building. Not an earthly kingdom. Don't, don't miss it. Because if I was, the Romans would be losing and you would know it. If I was building that kind of a kingdom, we would be fighting and you would be losing. 
If I was building that kind of kingdom, if I was trying to accumulate power and wealth and sit on some earthly throne, you would be knowing, but I know, but I'm a different kind of king. My kingdom is not of this world. If, if that was the case, yes, we would be fighting and I would be winning, but the primary motivation and the agenda for Jesus' life, he says, is to seek and save the lost. It's not to set up some earthly kingdom. Because if it was, you would know. Jesus says, but I'm a different kind of king. My mission, my agenda is bigger and greater than kicking out the Romans. There is an enemy in your life that is far stronger and greater and more dangerous than even the Roman legions, than even Roman oppression. And it is our sin and our death. And Jesus says, I have come this Palm Sunday to kick your sin and your death to the curb and take care of it once and for all. Don't miss the mission. How does Jesus know that is mission? Because he has a rock solid identity. Jesus knew exactly who he was. And that is the purpose and the driving force of his life. Sometimes you got to put yourself right there in the middle of the crowd. And as you watch this next clip, I want you to not just watch the crowd, but I want you to watch Jesus right in the middle of it, who knows exactly who he is. How would you have handled yourself in the middle of the crowd that day? Take a look. One of the things that I love about that moment is amidst all the noise and all the chaos, the crowds and the voices, Jesus is one chill dude. You know what I'm talking about? Is that what you would have done in that? There is something about Jesus that when you get near him, there is a presence. There is a confidence. There is a peace. There is a calm that fills his soul in that moment. Jesus undoubtedly had that. Do you? When the voices of your past come calling and all the sticky notes and all the name tags come and get stuck on you, do they just fall off because you unquestionably know who you are. How do you get that kind of peace? How do you exist in a situation like that when the storm out there is raging? And for some of you, you walked in here this morning and the storm is raging, but it's on the inside. And you don't know who you are. And you're asking the world, you're asking everybody, every circumstance, every situation, who you are, but you long for that. You long to have what Jesus had. How do you get that? You follow Jesus. And you watch what he modeled. That moment and countless moments like that were made possible by the thousands of other moments that Jesus said, I'm going to go away and be with my dad. I'm going to go be with my father. And Jesus got up early and went away to pray. And the crowds were closing in and Jesus left the crowds and he went off to be alone. I will tell you this. You show me somebody that has a rock solid identity, I'll show you somebody that spent a lot of time alone with Jesus called intimacy. It's called being with him. Jesus doesn't just show up on the scene one day and say, I've got a rock solid identity and purpose. He got that from his father, from being with him. Jesus knows that. He's got his father's approval because the reality is when you've heard the whisper of heaven, you don't need to pander to the roar of the crowd. Just receive that this morning. Some of you have been pandering to whatever the crowd says your entire life. And you can have that. Whatever Jesus has, you have. That's literally what it means to be a Christian. If this is you, 
This is Jesus. You are in Christ. That's literally what it means to be a Christian. You're in Christ. And that means whatever Jesus have, has, you have as well. If you want that peace and that confidence and that calm and that focus and that significance, you already have it. You already have it. Whatever Jesus has, you have. You don't have to run and go looking for it. I mean, it's as close to you as it's like in your pocket. You've got peace in your pocket. You might want to check. It's that close. You've got confidence in your pocket. It's right there with you. You've got joy. You've got love. You've got significance. You will never be more significant than you are right now. Not because of something that you've done or some name tag that's been stuck on you, but who the God who created you says you are. Amen? You will never be more significant. You've got that, and you can walk in that authority and walk in that confidence today. The problem is we don't. We forget who we are, and for a lot of us, what we'll do is we'll run around most of our lives because this has just become normal with a whole stack of name tags and a Sharpie, and we'll say, can you tell me? Can you tell, can you, can you tell me? And, and you, might, you may not realize it because we're operating in the physical realm. This is what's happening in the spiritual realm. You walked in here today and you're covered with name tags. And all but one of them is a lie. One of them says, child of God, that's what's true about you. But we'll run around most of our lives saying, can you tell me? Can you tell me? I need another man to tell me who I am because I, I don't know. I need another woman to tell me who I am. I need to go to Instagram and see how many likes and follows I can get. I, I, need, to get, I need to get the approval of my in-laws. Maybe you're sitting next to him right now. I better be careful, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. They don't get to tell you who you are. Because when you know who you are, that confidence in Christ and that identity is strong enough that when those other arrows come, when those other name tags come, they just fall right off. Because the enemy has nothing on you. And he's really, really scared of you because when you find out your identity, you discover your purpose. And when you discover your purpose, it changes the trajectory of your lives. We run around like that trying to get other people to fill us up and tell us who we are because we don't know who we are. But it's not just us. There's three examples in this story. Everybody around Jesus in this Palm Sunday text didn't know who they were either. There were some misplaced identities. One of those is the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day, and they were looking for their identity through control. Everybody say control. For the Pharisees, as long as I'm in control, then I'm good. Look at verse 37. Luke 19, 37. When Jesus reached the place on the road that started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along. Verse 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, it, by the way, the Pharisees were the original party poopers. It's right there in the text. Verse 40, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Jesus says, as much as you want to put the God of the universe in a box, good luck because I'm never going to fit. This is, we're talking about the God that created everything that holds everything all together, the God that created you, that knows you better than anybody else, the God that created all of creation, even you Pharisees, the God that created the rocks and the trees and everything around you. He is literally walking right in front of you in flesh and we are supposed to keep the crowds quiet about that? Are you kidding me? We can't stay quiet when the God of the universe shows up right in front of us, amen? And that's what they missed. And that's what they missed. They wanted control. What if that was our response every weekend? It's just spontaneous applause and clapping and laughter and joy. Why? Because the king is here. 
And some of you are like, ah, I'm not all, I, it's, it, it's not demonstrative for me. It's not, worship's not out here. I'm not a very charismatic person. That's not my thing. I don't worship that way. That's fine. I don't either. But I also know that out of the overflow of the heart is what our actions portray, right? So whatever's going on in the inside is going to come out on the outside. The, the joy, the power, the passion is going to come out. Some of you are like, it's not my thing. That's not my tradition. I just don't get excited about a lot of things, and I don't outwardly show that. And I beg to differ with you because there is something called the Iowa Hawkeyes women's basketball team. So I beg to differ with you, okay? Now, I cannot tell. There's a lot of black and gold in here today. Praise God, all right? Now, just want to say everybody's welcome at Hope Eli. I see some Cyclone fans here. Everybody's welcome. That's fine, all right? But today, please, just one day, can we all cheer for the Hawkeyes today? Can we just be on the same page about that? All right. Cheer. I know. All right. Here's the deal. I have had more people come up to me in the last week saying, hey, did you watch the game? Did you, what an incredible game. Did you see the game? I was, watching, I was out at a restaurant. We were at a bar. We were doing this. I was in my living room. We were jumping up and down. We stayed up late. Did you watch it? It was amazing. I was jumping up and down and clapping and hugging, and it was crazy, and we were going crazy. And then we show up at worship on Sunday morning. You pick me up, turn me around. <laughs> Place my feet on solid ground. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. Six million people watched that game against South Carolina the other night. That is the highest rated college basketball game on ESPN in 15 years, men or women. So power to the ladies on that one, okay? That's pretty awesome, okay? Six million people watched that game and you were jumping up and down and going crazy and I was one of them. We let our 10-year-old stay up all the way. We were jumping up and down and crying and laughing. I woke my daughter up that had been sleeping for a couple hours. I mean, I was one of them. But can I just set the record straight? These are 19, 20, 21-year-old young women that are putting a ball through the basket and we come into the house of God. We cannot stay quiet in worshiping our Lord and Savior and the God of the universe, amen? He deserves all the glory and all the honor. Here's where we get messed up. This is where we can all be like the Pharisees sometimes. <laughs> when we don't understand something, we seek to control it. We seek to control what we can't understand, and the Pharisees just couldn't quite understand it. They couldn't understand that the gospel was just too good. Not too good to be true, just too good. See, deeper than a parade, the Pharisees were looking for their identity through their performance. And our performance is just another form of control. Any similar uh, control freaks out there? Anybody struggle with control? And the rest of you are lying and you don't want to admit that you're in control, right? Because you want to control the situation, right? But here's where we can all be kind of like the Pharisees sometimes. I want to control it through my performance. And if I'm obedient and if I follow the laws and if I do everything that God wants me to do and I'm righteous and I'm holy and I'm holier than you and I'm following my religion better than you are and I'm holier than thou, then I feel better about myself. Because my performance, I think, dictates my identity. Let's bring it into our lives. You have a great, you have a great week at work. You're just rocking it. 
If you're a boss, you're, you're blessing your employees, you're an awesome boss. If you're an employee, you've got the favor and the approval of your boss, you're doing great. You got a raise, you got a bump, you got a new ride, you got a new house, whatever you got, everything's going well. Your kids are listening to you, they never talk back. You're a rock star parent, you're just, oh man, you, the romance is flying in your marriage, you're just rocking it at home and with the wife and the kids and the husband, everything's going well for you. You're reading your Bible, you're praying every day, you're showing up at worship, and you have hopped on what I call the performance role roller coaster. And you feel so good because when you're up, you're up. That's your mentality. I'm good. What happens when you get fired? What happens when you get a demotion? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you have a bad day at work? What happens when you don't have the approval of your boss? What happens when you get in an argument with your spouse on the way to church, mind you? What happens when your kids aren't listening to you? What happens when you forget to read your Bible and you forget to pray and you missed a couple weeks of church and all of a sudden, boom, now I don't know who I am anymore because my identity was based on being good enough. And now I can... Now I can control the situation. When I'm in control, then I'm good. But here's the truth. Identity crumbles when it's built on performance. Why? Because it'll never be enough. Instead, the gospel and the good news is that Jesus comes to you today and he says, you can't earn what you already have. Identity for those in Christ is not something that's earned, it's something that's bestowed. It's given to you. It's what God, who God says that you are. You can't control it. You can't earn it. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, he says it this way, verses 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace. Not your performance. By his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done so that none of us can boast about it. This is where the Pharisees missed it. Identity does not come from how good I am or my performance. Identity comes because of how good Jesus is and relying on him. Amen? That's where my identity is at. I don't have to earn something that I already have. Real identity does not come through control. It comes through surrender. I'm going to lay down those other name tags that have been placed on me. I'm going to surrender that. To who the God that created me says I am. But the Pharisees weren't the only ones with a misplaced identity. There was other people that had name tags and came across that identity in different ways. For some, it was the crowd. For some, it was the crowd that day. And when you're a part of the crowd and you're laughing and cheering and joking and you're going along with whatever the latest fad is, it's easy to place our identity in culture. You know what everybody else is doing. In another version of the Palm Sunday story in John chapter 12, we read that many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling other people about it. So Jesus is a celebrity. I mean, he's cooking. He's hot. There's a lot going on. And people are like, he's the miracle worker. And so I'm going to jump on his bandwagon. I'm going to go with whatever he is doing. They'd heard about this miraculous sign. When you don't know who you are, you just pander to the crowd. Well, this is what the latest social media influencer is saying. This is, this is that blog that I read. This is my favorite podcaster. This is my favorite internet person that's out there. This is my favorite author. And I'm just going to go with what say, they say. And there's nothing wrong with those, anything, those except when you line them up to the word of God, what gives? Who do you follow? Do you follow what the popular opinion is? Do you follow what everybody else, your peers are doing? Or do you follow the Jesus that came walking down that road on Palm Sunday. Because what happens 
when who you're following changes? What happens when there's a new fad? What happens when there's a new cultural phenomenon? And what happens when the person that you're following starts to get really, really challenging? Everybody wants to be a part of a winning team, but what happens when your team is not winning anymore? And in sports, we call that bandwagon fans, right? You know this term, right? Just to paint the picture for you, be honest, you're in church, people, okay? How many Iowa Hawkeye women basketball fans are there in this room a year ago? Yeah, not very many, like three of you, right? How many of there are today? How many people are cheering for the Hawkeyes, right? Absolutely. I've got an appointment this afternoon at 2.30 with the TV. So when we don't know who we are, we'll just pander to the crowd. We'll just pander to bandwagon fans. Ask the crowd that worshipped him on Sunday and abandoned him on Friday. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And some of you have kept Jesus at a distance for most of your life, thinking that God's number one goal for you is to admire Jesus. Jesus didn't come to be popular. He came to set you free. He came to give you a new identity. And maybe today could be that day of breakthrough for some of you. That maybe some of those name tags start to fall off and you actually believe what he says about you is true. Jesus doesn't want fans, he wants followers. Are you following him even when things get hard, even when he goes to the cross? This is where even the disciples had a misplaced identity. For the disciples, they'd place their identity in convenience. Convenience. Yes, they follow Jesus, and yes, they got it right some of the time, but the rest of the time, not so much. A couple years into Jesus' ministry, the sons of thunder are arguing. A couple of Jesus' disciples are arguing. So Jesus, when you're sitting on that throne, you know, we got the gold palace and everything. Can I sit? Can we sit at your right and your left? Because that's how it's going to go down. Jesus is like, I don't know, but there's going to be no throne. Okay, there's a throne in heaven that you haven't seen yet, but there's not going to be any throne on this earth. Even after Jesus rises from the dead, they say, Jesus, are you going to kick out the Romans now? Are you still going to be that great military general? And Jesus said, you missed it. You missed the point. Because here's the thing, for the disciples and some of us, we're, we're more in love with the idea of Jesus than Jesus himself. Because we're more in love with the benefits than we are the giver. <laughs> we're more in love with the gifts than the giver. A really good question to ask yourself is, am I, am I in love with Jesus or am I in love with the convenience of Jesus? I want Jesus to be my Savior when it comes to being my Lord. <laughs> no. Who are you following? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Do you follow Jesus when it's convenient or will you follow him to the cross? Follow me, Jesus says. Not control, not control, not the crowd, not culture, not convenience. And let me tell you who you are. Amidst the noise, all the voices in the crowd, Jesus knows exactly who he is. The name Jesus is derived from the Hebrew name, couple, uh, Different tweaks and changes there. The root of it is Yeshua. Deliverer. Rescuer. If Jesus would have pandered to the crowd and let everybody else tell him what his name tag should be, there would be no good news. There would be no Palm Sunday, no Monday, Thursday, no Good Friday, and no resurrection. But because Jesus knew who he was, he knew what his purpose was. To die and to rise again to set us if Jesus doesn't understand who he is, everything else fades away. Because he knew who he was, he understood his purpose. And so I want to go back to where we started. Do you know who you are? And is there a way that for those of you that have been carrying around some of those name tags your entire life, is there a way that they wouldn't stick? 
Is there a way that you could truly discover who you are? At our last service, the kids sang for us, and they just have a way of putting things into poignant ways that we can understand and just decided, you know, maybe we'll go to a book that helps us understand that. This is one of the children's books that I've read to my kids since they were very young. It's called You Are Special by Max Lucado. And before you check out, every single time that I sit down or lay down with our kids in their beds to read them this story, I think, oh, this will be cute. It's for them because I want them to understand who they are. And I can't tell you there has not been a time that I have read this book and not gotten choked up myself. It tells the story of a wooden creature named Punchinello, and he's created by this woodcarver, the creator named Eli, in his woodshop. And Punchinello struggled his whole life because he's got a lot of name tags on. He's got, uh, in his world, you get a star for your performance because that should tell you who you are. You get a dot if they don't like you, if you're not good, if you haven't measured up, if you're not good enough. And so all these Wemmicks are running around with stars and dots. And yet here's Punchinello. And we pick it up as he goes to see Eli one day when he's just kind of exhausted and trying to figure out who he is. Punchinello walked up the narrow path and stepped into Eli's shop. His eyes grew big because the stool was as tall as he was, and he had to stretch on tiptoe to see the top. Punchinello swallowed hard, I'm not staying here, and then he heard his name. Punchinello, the voice was deep and strong, how good to see you, come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello looked up, you know my name? Of course, I made you. And Eli picked him up and he set him on the bench. Looks like you've been given some bad marks, said the maker. I didn't mean to, Eli. I tried really, really hard. Punchinello, I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think, and I think that you're pretty special. <laughs> Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why, I'm not very talented and my, my paint is chipping. Why do I matter to you? Eli spoke very slowly and softly. Because you're mine. And that's why you matter to me. Punchinella didn't know what to say. Every day I had been hoping that you would come, Eli explained. I came because I met Lucia, said Punchinello, and why don't the stickers stick on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what others think. The stickers only stick if you let them. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more that you trust my love, the less that you care about the stickers. Well, I'm not sure I understand, said Punchinello. Eli smiled. You will, but it'll take time. For now, come to see me every single day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him down on the ground. Remember, Eli said as Punchinello was leaving, you are special because I made you. And I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. I think he really means it. I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. There is one name, there is one power that has the ability 
that when you are covered in dots, that when you are covered in name tags and identities that are not yours, there is one name and one power that has the ability to make all the other ones fall off, and that is the name of Jesus. And he says, you are not a mistake, amen? You are a child of God. I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but, but I need to spend some time letting those name tags fall off. I don't know about you, but I want some new names, amen? I need a new identity. I don't know about you, but I need to spend some time reminding myself of who God says that I am. I can't remember how many times I've finished up reading that book to my kids, and I'm just sobbing on the bed, and they're like, Dad, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm just a kid. I'm just a little kid that needs to be reminded of who I am every single day by the God that created me. Amen? And I'm never going to grow out of that. I'm never going to grow out of that. And we need to be reminded of who we are every single day as well. In case you've forgotten, let me give you a few new name tags today. Let me hand all of these out, and they're right there in the Bible that you have in front of you. Let me remind you of who you are. You are a child of God. You are Jesus' friend. You are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. You are an heir of God. You are loved by Jesus. You've been washed and sanctified and justified. You are dead to sin, but alive in God. You are a new creation. You are a saint. You've been justified. You you are complete in Christ and you have everything that you need. You are never alone. You are never forsaken. Your name is written in heaven. You are chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. And the list goes on and on and on and on. That is who you are. There is one person that gets to decide who you are and what your identity is. And that is the God that created you. And when you know who you are, you have your purpose. Jesus knew who he was and it changed everything. Because Jesus knew who he was, he had a laser-focused mission, and because of that mission, we are sitting here today celebrating Palm Sunday, getting ready to celebrate Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and a week from now, we are going to have the biggest Jesus party that you've ever seen because that God is alive. Amen? Because Jesus is alive. Don't forget who you are. You are his. Amen? Wherever you're at, online or in the room, let's stand and prepare our hearts for Holy Communion. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope.elam.org.